Hello, and welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about God's sadness cave so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read The Shack by William Young. Joining us to discuss where tragedy confronts eternity is writer and librarian Dolly. Hello. Uh. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me for this terrible book. Yes. By the way, writer and librarian and co-host of the Withdrawn podcast, we should mention. Yeah. On extended hiatus because um, Steve lives in Atlanta and I live in California and it's really hard to make the three-hour time difference. We feel you. We plan to come back. Yeah. Excellent. Well, you know, if you've never listened to it before, you can go to the archives and catch up. Or, you know what, just fuck with John, just listen to Worst Bestsellers Now, because we've got Dolly on it. And you're already listening to it. You're already So just more Worst Bestsellers. You're already on this journey. Time is a flat circle. We know this. We are debating debating the next time we do it to just drop all seven episodes, like S-Town now, or, or all the episodes. Like, just listen to them whenever. Whatever. There's no rules anymore. There are no gods, only podcasts. Uh, that's actually not the moral of this book. The moral of this no, book. Not, not really at all. Okay. So here, here is my um, very worst bestsellers-esque story about the shack that actually has very little to do with the shack itself. Um, the shack hit like bestseller mania while I was working as a bookseller as did The Secret at pretty much the same time. And up until we read The Secret for this podcast, I had definitely gotten them confused and definitely thought The Secret was about like some Jesus thing where you learn about how, why bad things happen to good people. And I mean, it kind of is in a way, but not in the explicit way that I assumed. The first time I heard about The Shack um, I was in the Peace Corps, and we talked about books a lot, and we had, like, really limited access to things, uh, which you may recall I've talked about this before as why I read all four Twilight books in the Peace Corps, because they were there. Um, <laughs> but a friend of mine was saying, you know, I, I'm really embarrassed to admit it, but I read this book, and I really loved it, and it's called Shack. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that is. Like, why are you embarrassed? And she's like, oh, it's just, you know, it's like this really evangelical Christian thing, And it's about this father whose daughter gets murdered and then he goes to the shack and, like, talks to God. And I was like, what? It's what? And she was like, it's really good, though? And I was like, but it's okay. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I I just sort of was like, well, I'm never going to read that, but I'm glad you liked it. And then, um, so I will say up front that I contacted the same friend later and was like, hey, uh, we're going to read that book, The Shack, for this podcast that I do. Would you be interested in talking about it? And she was like, oh, LOL, I haven't thought about The Shack in a really long time. I know that book was really important to me, but I probably would cringe reading, like, thinking about it now. So, no thank you. (laughs) Which I I think is a perfectly respectable answer. And I do want to say right off the top, because we are going to delve into, like, this book is bananas, and it's really badly written, but I do kind of think that the overall message is good. I think it's, like, kind of a sweet premise. Like, I don't know, not a sweet premise. It's a fucked up premise. It's sort of a sweet <laughs> message about, like, 
how God wants you to be happy or something. Yeah. It didn't offend me, per se. I I feel like, yeah, like, I feel like it's kind of almost like, as bizarre as this sounds, considering how in-depth they go into the Holy Trinity, it's kind of like Christianity light, how, like, everyone thinks Christians should be, which is just, you know... Uh, things happen for a reason, but it's beyond your control, but you need to find the things in your life that are worthwhile and be happy because that's what God wants for all of his children kind of deal, as opposed to this, like, really kind of strict rules-based religion that actually exists when you start to break down the different sects of Christianity, which I imagine is why so many Christian scholars and personalities have so many issues with the book is because it's kind of the like god loves you without having to follow any rules yeah god says she or he hates rules and like never created any rules in this book yeah it's definitely like an idealistic vision of christianity that was it was very interesting. I haven't spent a lot of time around um, evangelical Christianity because I grew up Catholic. So I'm more used to like a bureaucracy. Like, where's God's <laughs> personal Where's God's personal assistant, you know? <laughs> um, so it was kind of an interesting delve, but also to sort of get, um, and I did like wind up doing a little bit of reading about this because as I was reading it, I was kind of like, does this guy believe in hell? Because that's actually kind of a... Um, there's a really good This American Life about a pastor in, like, Kansas City or something who stopped believing in hell and how it kind of destroyed his whole church because there's just – it's, like, serious heresy kind of to Protestant – I assume it would be bad in Catholicism as well. Just, like, this idea of not having a hell was, like, unthinkable to people. And as I was reading The Shack, it kind of has, like, a low-key sort of attitude of that of, like – well, being in hell is really being without God, but hopefully one day we'll all be reconciled to God. So it is. it does turn out the shack has, like, a little bit of, like, Christian controversy around it for this idea of, like, does he believe in hell? Does he believe everybody's reconciled to God? Blah. It's like, wow, this is edgy. It's edgy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think maybe we should delve in and start explaining the book, like, the, the plot of it, maybe. Sure. And then we can dig into the the theological, that's a word, the theological worldview that it presents, and then circle back to, like, how it is maybe controversial and maybe just super weird. Yeah. Definitely super weird. So, first of all, it starts with this frame narrative where a person whose name is not revealed at, at the beginning is just talking about... Um, how this is a true story and his friend asked him to write it down and multiple times and he says this friend like we've been as the kids say hanging out and hanging out if you know what I mean and so I thought this prologue was maybe told by like the main character's wife or like new girlfriend or something it's not it's like a straight male friend that they're just really close to and so I'm like I don't know what hanging out means to these people because <laughs> I thought you meant sex and now I don't know <laughs> woodworking intense woodworking yeah if you know what I mean and then also in the prologue I'm obsessed with this thing he says 
And and Mac, my, my friend Mac told me to say, if you happen upon this story and hate it, sorry, but it wasn't primarily written for you. Which I love so much. And I just think, like, every book should have that disclaimer. Like, if you don't like it, it's not for you. And, like, well, you know it, what? It, this book isn't for me, and that's fair. But also, I'm still going to spend, like, an hour plus talking about it on this podcast. Because <laughs> that's my jam. <laughs> And it, it reminded me of, um, and it, it's happened several times, but this was the one that popped into my mind, um, when Kevin Smith released Jersey Girl yeah. and cr- critics hated it, and he was just like, well, it's not for critics. Oh my god, totally. And- <laughs> Kevin Smith is following the rules of the shack. <laughs> What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, it reminds me like of a fan fiction like writer at the beginning in their header, like, no flames, please. If you don't like this, read something else. Write and review. <laughs> and it's just the um, the concept of this sort of frame. Like, this has been in a couple books that we've read at this point. And I'm, I'm just so curious as to what compels someone to set a story up this way. Because um, Bridges of Madison County is a recent one that was like this, too. Where it's kind of set up as like, well, someone told me this story, and now I'm telling it to you. But the frame doesn't really add very much to it. Like, it it, it could be told just as well. In fact, possibly better without jumping through all these hoops of like, well, this was a true story, and it was told to me by this person, and I'm telling it to you now, and they couldn't tell you themselves because they're no writer, but I'm a writer, but then also, like, it's for things that are known to be fictional. Right. Because I could see it... Never mind. I don't know where he's going with that. I, I could <laughs> see it in a movie, maybe, more, to sort of, like, make you buy into the fiction of it more and to, like, let it go. But with a book, you're sort of already agreeing to do that. Yeah. I think yeah, that I'm... this should have been written as a notebook written by a senile old person. I think that would be... <laughs> I think that would be really romantic. You read to him. Yeah, it's very lazy. This is lazy storytelling. (laughs) When you're like, believe me, here's the whole backstory of every character you're about to meet. And now we start. Like, it's lazy. But whatever. Yeah. So that that prologue aside, um, and it also introduces a lot of um, concepts or, like, problems that are going to reoccur, which is just, like, too much detail about the stupidest goddamn things, like how long your driveway is and like what exact kind of car you have. And it's, it really is falling into this school of writing. that's like everything that I looked up on Wikipedia, I'm going to just paste it all in here and you'll, you'll want all the information possible about this. Right. Right. But that's not right. We don't care. No. Yeah, like, it, it definitely feels in places, like, especially, and we'll get to this whole camping thing that happens later, but especially in scenes like that, where it's just all of these pointless things piled on that don't really have any bearing on the plot and could have been summarized in just a couple paragraphs, that, like, I, I feel like at that point it's like, well... You know, because I know that originally this was written as a story that the author William Young gave to his kids as a Christmas present. It was not intended to be published. And then 
Um, we hear that they, too much from authors, and you've got to start taking responsibility for it. Yes. <laughs> so, so I guess what happened was um, friends of his had said, like, no, it's so good, you have to publish it. But no publishing houses would pick it up. But some people believed in it so much. There was a guy, he published it himself. He opened his own publishing company. This, like, group of this guy's friends or something. They maxed out, like, a dozen credit cards in order to pay for all of the production costs. May and I then... insert, just like Kevin Smith. <laughs> just like Kevin Smith. Just like Kevin Smith. Um, and um, eventually, like, through word of mouth and, like, going on religious talk shows and stuff, they had built up enough following for this book that it became a New York Times bestseller. And now, apparently, there's, like, legal... They're in a big legal snafu because... There's, like, questions of where the royalties should go and how much this fake publishing company that existed just to publish this book should be paid and how much the author should be paid and all this other uh, thoroughly non-Christian lawsuit arguing over money happening going on. That was a sentence that made sense. Intense. Intense. And now there's also other, like, there's a Shack devotional other spin-off titles to to further uh, work on your religious like day to dayness through the context of the shack. So, uh, not to mention the feature film, the shack. The feature film. Oh my god! But so it just it feels like a lot of parts of this were shoved in in an attempt to kind of fatten it up for book publishing to make it longer. That makes sense. Um, yeah, but uh, anyway, so so we're getting all this backstory from the narrator who's writing it, who's been told it by our main character, including a lot of stuff about how our main character, Mac, whose first name is Mackenzie, was growing up and he had a father who was an alcoholic and abusive. And uh, after confessing at church that he felt guilty that he couldn't do more to protect his mother when his father went on his drunken benders. He, the, the pastor told his father and his father beat the shit out of him. So he saved the up father and ran away. tied him to a tree and beat him for like two days, which yes. was the most bananas detail. Like, yeah. Well, I, I feel like the most bananas detail is that he decided to run away from home and poisoned all the alcohol. Okay, you're, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a veritable tree of bananas in this character backstory. You're right. <laughs> this whole thing is pretty bonkers. Um, but he, you know, went away and he went to school and made good for himself. And now he's married living in the Pacific Northwest with his beautiful wife, Nan, and their five kids. Uh, two of their kids are older and off at college. And then the other three, two are like high school age. And then one is five or six. Um, that's Missy. She's the youngest. And our story sort of begins to begin. It still hasn't begun yet. <laughs> the beginning. <laughs> is that right before school started, about a year ago, or five years ago? How long ago was it? It was a I while. I think it maybe was like five years, something like that. Yes. Mm. So right before school started, he took the three younger kids on a camping trip. 
uh, Nan was off at speaking at some nursing conference. So he decided we're going to go camping to this campground that we always go to. And he took the kids out and they were there for like a week and they had a great time and all these wonderful things happened. And they, they met made up some cool new friends. Yeah, lots and lots met, of detail about the friends. <laughs> <laughs> they met up with some other families who were there and they made some friends. And then on the last day, um, the his two older of the three younger kids, Kate and Josh, were out on one of the new friends' canoes when it tipped over. And he jumped into the lake to help the kids get out because uh, one of them was stuck underneath while the youngest child, Missy, was coloring at a picnic table. And once he got them out of the water and everything was okay and the sun almost drowned, but he was saved, uh, they looked around and they couldn't find Missy. And at the time, they couldn't find one of the other kids, too. But eventually they find that girl, and she wasn't with Missy, and no one knows where Missy is. So they call the police and the FBI, and it turns out there's a serial child murderer who's been abducting children from these woods. And they That's find the- they find a ladybug pin where on the picnic table where Missy had been. And this is the signature token of the little lady killer. <laughs> the world's most specific serial killer. <laughs> so... Uh, they, they're trying to find this serial killer and they can't find him. And then they get a lead and they follow the lead to this little shack in the middle of the woods. And in the shack is the dress that Missy was wearing all ripped up and covered in blood. So the dress that Missy was wearing when she went missing. I feel like we need to be clear about the wordplay involved with his (laughs) missing child, Missy. Missing, missing. Okay, that's all. <laughs> uh, so he goes back home and, like, the family tries to get on with their lives, but he is burdened by the great sadness. This is in capital her- letters and italics. Yes, the the emphasis put on the great sadness. And they kind of get on with their lives, you know, as much as they can. They sort of grow closer as a family, But, like, he still feels guilty. And one day when he's home, he's telecommuting because the weather's really bad. And he goes down to his driveway to pick up the mail. And there's a letter. And I can't remember what it says. It's something dumb. Like, Um, come to the shack. Love, Papa. Yes. It's basically that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, oh, we forgot to mention that his wife, Nan, is very religious. And she prays to God very conversationally. And she calls, she calls God Papa, which uh, Mac thinks is weird, because it is weird. I mean, unless you are Spanish-speaking and calling him Papa, but she's not. And it's it's weird. It is weird, I think, to call God Papa. And that's yeah. my bold stance. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's not a thing. But so <laughs> then he also, he's like, does it mean God, or does it mean my dad, who I thought I killed when I poisoned all the alcohol? Either way seems bad. Yeah. Um, But he he figures out pretty quickly that, like, he just knows instinctively that it means the shack that the serial killer, pedophile, child rapist, bad guy was living in. And he doesn't know what to do right away. And then he basically decides he's going to go for some reason, because reasons... 
Because what if? Because what if there is information that would help? So he's gonna go, but he doesn't want to tell his wife because she'll just worry, like how women do. But he does call the post office to complain that they delivered this letter that didn't have on it. By the way. Oh. Yeah, no, he calls to complain, but before he can complain, the post office lady who picks up is like, oh, you know, if you're calling to complain that you didn't get any mail today, it's because the mailman can't get up the hill to your house, so we're sorry about that. So he knows that God must have put it there. Yep. Or something. (laughs) Basically. So the, the, um... His wife and and her kids, his uh, other daughter, is, like, super traumatized from her sister being killed, as you do. Mm -hmm. So his wife is going to take the kids to her sister's for a while because, um... Because the sister's husband is a therapist or something. And it seems like this is the first time they're thinking about therapy for that child. Which is maybe, I mean... I'm glad, I'm glad it finally occurred to them, but maybe you could have done that sooner. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Your whole family um, needs therapy when someone gets kidnapped and murdered by a serial killer. It's just a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you need it. <laughs> so, uh, so Mac is like, well, this is the perfect time to borrow the narrator's truck and drive out to the shack to have this confrontation, possibly with God. Who knows? So he goes out there, and he goes to the shack, and he, like, grabs a gun that he borrowed from the narrator, and, like, marches up to the shack. And by the way, we we could probably recreate this journey to the shack, because we get, like, step-by-step Google Maps instructions. Yes. Intensely so, yes. Definitely trying to pad this out for publication. Um, so he goes into the shack, and it's, like, run down and desolate still, and he's super pissed, and then he goes outside, and magically everything changes from, like, the bleak winter gross darkness to, like, a beautiful, lush cabin, spring or summertime scene. <laughs> Yeah, it's, and it's it's yeah. no longer a shack. It's now like a beautiful like multi-room furnished cabin. Uh, so in in addition to the house, like there, you know, the the shack becomes this beautiful house. Uh, he goes inside of it, and inside of it is a whole bunch of people who are manifestations of essentially the Holy Trinity. So Kate, so Kate, they're all like white dudes, right? I mean, I just, I just would assume that they're all three white dudes, right? Of, of course, because no, you're wrong. You're <gasps> wrong because we're close-minded, and we shouldn't think about it that way. Um, the God part of the Trinity is an African American woman, um, and Jesus is a Middle ugly. Eastern dude. What? <laughs> I said ugly. Oh, Jesus is an ugly Middle Eastern dude. (laughs) He makes a point, which we will get to later as one of our dramatic readings, of being like, yeah, I'm ugly. Jesus can be ugly. I bet you didn't expect that to happen. (laughs) He's an ugly carpenter, and the carpenter thing is really hammered in. (laughs) Hammered in! Pun pun intended! (laughs) And 
then the Holy Spirit is a mysterious Asian woman. Who, when she is first introduced, Mackenzie is crying and she captures his tears and puts them in a bottle. Like you do. And then, and God is just like, oh yeah, she does that. She collects tears. (laughs) And she is called Sarayu, but she is the Holy Spirit, I guess. But I think she's also Bjork. <laughs> um, so then, like, at this point, it just sort of transitions into a sort of morality, spirituality story where he has long conversations with each of these um, personifications of the Holy Trinity about like his life and what happens and what God wants and what Jesus wants and why Jesus was here and all sorts of stuff. Like he walks on water. He doesn't get diarrhea from eating leaves. (laughs) This is a, that is directly a thing that they spend a long time talking about. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, I don't really feel the need. Well, first of all, a, I don't think I'm capable of, regurgitating everything that happened in that long middle part of the book because a lot of it a was very samey and b as a person who's not religious and is not really interested in absorbing that kind of philosophy with no offense intended to people who are I like a lot of it just kind of twisted around in my head and then immediately went out the other side. Yeah. But that is the bulk of the middle of the book is that these like theological conversations about the tenets of Christianity in a very like, like we said, like loosey goosey kind of like do good, be good and good things will come to you kind of summation way. It's that, and then a lot of it is also just trying to unpack the Holy Trinity, which is kind of a confusing concept to me as, you know, as Kate said, as, well, Kate was raised in a religion, but I wasn't, and I I don't really get it, and this book really a lot of it is, you know, Max, like, so which one of you is God? And they're all like, oh, we all are God. And then there's a fourth person introduced, (laughs) which is Sophia, which is God's wisdom manifested as a separate person who then goes, like, well, I guess we can get into that later. But that's further confusing, this whole deal. And so just trying to be like, well, if you're, like, who's in charge then, or whatever, and they're like, no, you don't get it. Like, we just love each other, and we support each other, and it doesn't matter. And, like, just... Actually, it has, like, kind of the same moral as Chuck Tingle, it's just that love <laughs> is real. <laughs> it's, like, wow, exactly that's the so same. true! <laughs> it's the same! <laughs> And and as a person Renata who was raised going to catechism classes every week for twelve years, it it that that's just what it is. Like so, because religion is based on belief. Like essentially, they say there are three parts of God: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're all God, and they're all different parts of God, but they're all the same part of God. And that we this is just how it is. And you know, you just say okay. I mean, I believe that. That's okay. true. <laughs> Seems legit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and a lot legit. of it, like, God, who wants to be called Papa, Papa mm-hmm. is very, into, like, a, a big part of this is that she really wants Mac and the reader to understand, like, what a big sacrifice Jesus did and, like, how important Jesus' crucifixion was. 
But uh, again, I I kind of still don't get it. <laughs> There's also like a huge amount of stuff that's like, oh, humans are only miserable because they want to be miserable. Blah, blah, blah. So it's like every time he's kind of sitting there going, well, why do we suffer? God's just like, you suffer because you're dumb. <laughs> yeah. You chose to do suffering. Yeah. So it's kind of like the whole thing just keeps going around and around to this thing of like, why am I sad? It's because you're stupid. Yes. Thanks, God. Yeah, you've got to, as this book is mainly like bumper stickers stuck together. It's like, you just got to let go and let God. You just got to let Jesus take the wheel. You just got to prove love. And also, like, I don't know, I, I don't know if you guys remember this from, like, The Jungle, but, like, I remember reading The Jungle as a kid, and the very last chapter of The Jungle is, like, a speech that's just super pro-socialism. So you get this, like, whole really awesome book, and it's like, whoa, factories are bad, and yada yada, and, like, Ayn Rand did the same thing, I think, in, like, The Fountainhead or something, where it's like, here's the entire middle section of the book, and it's my philosophy. Yeah. That's what the middle section of this is. It's just like, and now we're gonna have a bunch of imagined conversations between religious figures while I articulate to you my concept of Christianity. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's, it's exhausting. And like I can see how since it started having it start as like a, a short story to his kids I can totally understand how it works as that as like a well like I this is because I mean my parents aren't super religious but they they are the type of people who would do like a dumb cheesy gift where they'd be like, I'm going to impart wisdom on my children as one of their gifts for Christmas, and I'm going to do it by way of a short story that I write and type up and put under the tree for them. Um, and I can see how, like, how it's structured like that, like how it's it's kind of like a, a, a sort of flimsy packaging for, like, here's what's important about our religion, like, be good do good things, let go of bad things, you know, embrace positivity in life, love and be loved, which, which also sort of explains why it's kind of, you know, like the Cliff's Notes, good parts of Christianity without all of the rules and tenets and bad parts. Yes. Basically. So then I would say after, like, what it's kind of building up to, and as much as it's building up to anything is, um, you know, Matt keeps kind of being like, well, this all sounds good, but, like, why is there evil? Why why did you allow Missy to be killed? Like, which, you know, fair question. And then it ends with him having to go to this cave with Sophia, who is a very beautiful Latina woman, by the way. Did you think she'd be a white man? No. <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> Um, and so, she, uh, she's in a cave, obviously, and she's like, hey, so, uh, which one of your kids do you think should go to hell? And he's like, what? No, none of them. They're all great. And she's like, no, you have to choose. You have to choose two of your kids to go to heaven and three of your kids to go to hell, and you have to choose. And he won't do it, and he says, no, just send me to hell and let all my kids go to heaven, which the math does not add up on that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, she, but, you know, she's like, oh, you know, see, you're very wise because you love all your children, and that's how I, God, feel about all of my children, even though some of them are murderers. And he's like, oh, so, like, I guess I get it? 
And then he kind of, then he can be at peace, sort of. Oh, and then he gets to have this sort of, like, hazy, like, living dream sequence where he gets to see Missy again one more time and sees that she's, like, super happy and she's, like, spinning around and playing with Jesus. And, (laughs) like, again, like you do. (laughs) Yeah. And so he, he can have some peace, finally, for his tragically murdered young daughter, and then he can finally put that italicized, capitalized, great sadness behind him, thanks to this cool, like, vision scene in the cave. But now we can go back to, like, what we talked about at the beginning, like, of, so is there no hell? Because it's sort of basically, like, saying, you know, God loves all our children, even the ones who are terrible murderers, which would then imply that none of them would go to hell, which would imply that heaven is full of murderers. (laughs) 900% murderers. I mean, it does, it it does get tricky, like, because once you start going in on this kind of, like, accepting no rules, do good, be good, and don't worry about the, the specifics kind of version of Christianity, like, yeah, like, with no real rules and edicts to follow there isn't anything that says well when you break this rule you go to hell if that makes any sense like with with no rules to follow there are no consequences right right and i mean and the kind of like christianity in this book is that god like spends so much time going i love you you're one of my favorites you're all my favorite i created all of you so it sort of stands to reason that like if there are people who do evil things and yada yada that was also something created by God, and then it gets kind of squiffy in terms of, like, you know, can you ever truly be forgiven for all the bad stuff you've done, especially if you're um, the world's most specific serial killer? But right. the Sophia stuff was really interesting because I think it kind of came down to this point of, like, you know, you're not God, so you don't have to do this judgment over like, what's happening to anybody? You just get to live your life and do the best you can do and go from there. And that kind of relieved part of his burden of, like, I must sit around and feel guilty all the time or otherwise I have nothing. Oh, but it's... And the other piece of wisdom he gained, which I have to say again, this is truly fucked up. So he <laughs> he realizes, you know, that he's not to blame for what happened because he had felt guilty, like, you know, since I jumped into the water to save my other kids, it's my fault that I wasn't there when Missy got taken. But he has this revelation that his daughter, Kate, who, again, has been acting up and just being, you know, a real scoundrel, she feels guilty as well. She feels like it's her fault that Missy got killed because she was the one who suggested they get in the canoes. And this blows his goddamn mind. It had never occurred to him for a second that his daughter might be feeling any sort of guilt or responsibility, which seems like it would have maybe crossed your mind once in the five years. Again, again, just a good rule of thumb, if you have a family member murdered by a serial killer, is just everybody needs therapy. Just everybody. All the time. Absolutely. Constantly. <laughs> it's a horrible thing to go through, and maybe you should talk to somebody. Somebody it's besides not, Papa. I'm not laughing at the situation. I'm not laughing at the situation. I'm just saying therapy. Yeah, maybe waiting for like the imaginary God that lives within us all to reach out to you is is too long. It's too much time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
God's on the schedule. I don't know. God's <laughs> not maybe going to get to everybody all at the same time. It gets it gets really interesting after the cave part too, and I sort of like lost track of what order everything happens in. But then there's like D- time's a flat circle. Don't worry about it. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> but there's also like you know like Jesus like Sarayu has um, Mac dig up this part of a garden, and the garden is his brain. Yeah. Um, and then they keep talking about oh tomorrow tomorrow when you go tomorrow um, and. I don't know if I'm skipping ahead. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's two weird things that happen. One is there's, like, an evening ceremony where they see, like, children and adults and angels. Oh. But they're all oh, yeah. shafts of light. And one of them is his dad. And it's, like, misfiring shafts of light because it's his dad knowing he was a terrible dad. And he was there. And so he gets a moment to sort of reconcile with his terrible father. But his father's like a shaft of light and that was that whole portion was kind of like oh what <laughs> what ceremony is this what's happening it's weird then, yeah. um i think the only other like big important thing that happens is i don't remember if it's sophia's cave or an adjacent cave but papa point like they find the cave where missy's body is which they never found that in in, like, real life, real time, they never found her body. And so mm-hmm. they find it, and God puts, like, a nice rock over it, and they sort of have kind of, like, a little ceremony-type situation. And then and then he goes back to the shack-slash-cabin. And, and ma- then he... he so, so he, like, leaves and the cabin, the shack, thinking about all of this. And he's so busy thinking that he gets into a car accident... But then he realizes that he was actually in the car accident before the weekend. Like, he's on his way. He got into the accident on his way to the shack. And everything that happened happened in his mind. Yeah. Because God. So So he tells, like, his wife and he tells his friend Willie, the narrator, and people are kind of like, I think basically, you know, assuming it's sort of like a delusion or whatever he has, except he's able to give the police like extensively detailed Google Maps directions to the cave and they actually do find Missy's body there. So. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. And then, and by the way, then because they found her body, they've never found any of the bodies of this killer's uh, victims before. And so when they finally find it, they guess they get enough evidence off of it that they're then able to almost immediately track down the killer and, like, you know, bring him to trial or whatever. Which, I mean, I haven't seen as many Law and Orders as Kate has, but it doesn't (laughs) quite track to me that that would play out that way. But, that I mean, you know, God's... God's looking out for them, I guess. I don't know. Well, I mean, it it absolutely would play the, out that way on um, a Law and Order or a Criminal Minds. <laughs> on or Criminal Minds, definitely. <laughs> real life, not so much. Like that is like every well, I mean, there's a lot of criticisms for crime procedurals, but one of the biggest criticisms for crime procedurals by people who work in actual related professions is that these things take months and years. And in a given episode of A Law and Order or a Criminal Minds, it all happens in, like, three days. 
Also, yeah. like, the reason I keep calling it the world's most specific serial killer, and I won't go too far into my serial killer obsession, just because <laughs> I already talked about that on Bellwether <laughs> Friends sometime, but, like, the whole thing about how detailed and, yeah, like, so the ladybug pen he leaves has, like, the specific number of victims that are the dots on the ladybug's back back that's the number of victims he's had like just just stuff that like in real life when you read about serial killers like nine times out of ten they're just kind of antisocial weirdos who kept getting lucky because we don't we're not really good at capturing people who kill strangers right like when somebody dies you look at someone who knows them and why would they want them dead so it's a little harder when it's like oh this person just randomly went missing weird and a lot of serial killers were just kind of getting lucky and not getting caught. So that's why, like, this is really hysterical how the... It, it, it goes two places. It goes like, oh, here's the most detailed serial killer of all time. And then also, now that we have the body, we caught the killer at the end. Yeah, yeah it, and, it, and like, a five-year-old like, body that's been decaying in a cave for, like, five years, by the way. Yeah. And I, I kept laughing when you kept saying, like, the world's most detailed serial killer because absolutely, like, he is... He does not fit the type for real life serial killers, but this guy walked right off the set of law and order. Like that is exactly how crime procedural serial killers go. So very criminal minds. (laughs) Super criminal minds. It's like, Oh, this serial killer is, is recreating the dolls that they had as a child when their dad abused them. Whoa! <laughs> Only on a TV show would this be happening. That's a good oh, episode. Yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend that one. That one's really good. So. Um, All right. All right. So, so that's, I, that's the shack. Yeah. <laughs> we saved you 10 bucks. You don't have to go to the movies. Although the guy playing um, Mac in the Shaq movie is super hot, and Octavia Spencer is God, which I could believe. So you may want to see the Shaq. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm here for that. But who's who's Survayu in the movie, though? I think it's an actress I've never really heard of, so I don't know if, like, she was specially discovered for the Shaq or... (laughs) She was chosen by God. (laughs) <laughs> like you do. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking up the shack on IMDb right now. Just they have in the Kindle edition. Tim I got McGraw, isn't picture. it? Yeah, Tim McGraw is the narrator. Oh, yeah. Tim McGraw's Willie. Yeah, yeah. They have pictures in the Kindle edition I got of all the actors, and the um the guy who plays Jesus is like a Middle Eastern guy from like Israel, I think. So. Spot on there. I'm looking at him now, though. I feel like he could be uglier. He's hot. Yeah. He's a hot Jesus. Yeah. But that's film, right? Yeah. Um, also, Graham Greene is Papa when Papa manifests as a man, which happens also. Like and this? his credit in the cast is male Papa. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Octavia Spanish, Spencer means... is just Papa. <laughs> in Spanish, that means male potato. <laughs> Okay, this movie seems great. Okay, so let's, I guess, move on to our dramatic readings. Boy. And, uh, yeah. Give you a little little taste of this. Um, okay, so our first one is, it's in the shack, and Mac has discovered Papa in the kitchen. 
And I will be Mac, and Kate will be Papa. And here we go. May I ask what you're listening to? You really want to know? Sure. Now Mac was curious. West Coast Juice, group called Diatribe, and an album that isn't even out yet called Heart Trips. Actually, these kids haven't even been born yet. Right. West Coast Juice, huh? It doesn't sound very religious. Oh, trust me, it's not. More like Eurasian funk and blues with a message and a great beat. She sidestepped toward Mac as if she were doing a dance move and clapped. Mac stepped back. So God <laughs> listens to funk? Mac had never heard funk talked about in any properly righteous terms. I thought you would be listening to George Beverly Shea or the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. You know, something churchier. Now see here, Mackenzie, you don't have to be looking out for me. I listen to everything, and not just to the music itself, but to the hearts behind it. Don't you remember your seminary classes? These kids ain't saying anything I haven't heard before. They're just full of vinegar and fizz. Lots of anger, and, I must say, with some good reason, too. They're just some of my kids showing and spouting off. I'm especially fond of those boys, you know. Yep, I'll be keeping my eye on them. Max struggled to keep up with her, to make some sense of what was happening. None of his old seminary training was helping in the least. He was at a sudden loss for words, and his million questions had all seemed to abandon him. So he stated the obvious. You know, calling you Papa is a bit of a stretch for me. Oh, really? Of course I know. I always know. But tell me, why do you think it's hard for you? Is it because it's too familiar for you? Or maybe because I'm showing myself as a woman, a mother, or... No small issue there. Or maybe it's because of the failures of your own papa? Matt gasped involuntarily. He wasn't used to having deep secrets surface so quickly and openly. Instantly, guilt and anger welled up, and he wanted to lash out with a sarcastic remark in response. Mac felt as if he were dangling over a bottomless chasm and was afraid if he let any of it out, he would lose control of everything. He sought for safe footing, but was only partially successful, finally answering through gritted teeth, Maybe it's because I've never known anyone I could really call Papa. At that, she put down the mixing bowl that had been cradled in her arm, and leaving the wooden spoon in it, she turned toward Mac with tender eyes. She didn't have to say it. He knew she understood what was going on inside of him, and somehow he knew she cared about him more than anyone ever had. If you let me, Mac, I'll be the papa you never had. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I mean, I kind of get, like, he's struggling with the fact that God is an actual person who's actually in this cabin, but also, like, if this is God, you don't have to be surprised that God knows you didn't like your dad. <laughs> he already knows. <laughs> also, so when God is a black woman, she consistently uses, like, sort of embarrassingly written dialect. Like, multiple times God says, show enough, spelled S-H-O space apostrophe N-U-F-F. Which there's also like a lot of references to to God being like 
overweight and jolly oh, yeah. that are horrifying. <laughs> God is a big, beautiful black woman. <laughs> Show enough. <laughs> and I mean, again, I I think it's like it's sort of cringy the way it's done. It's kind of nice that he's showing God as a black woman. I mean, that's I'm not mad about that. Uh, you know, it's fine. It comes from a good place, but it doesn't really try to overwhelm any stereotypes. So it kind of just like both streams connect and just sort of fizzle to cringe. Yeah, it's it's fine. <laughs> you tried. <laughs> you, you tried. He needs a little metal. <laughs> yeah. Okay, our next dramatic rating is going to be Mac and Jesus talking. And uh, Mac's going to be applying some human beauty standards to Jesus. And it's going to be great. And uh, I will be Jesus and Kate will be Mac. Jesus? Yes, Mackenzie? I'm surprised by one thing about you. Really? What? I guess I expected you to be more, uh, well, humanly striking. (laughs) Humanly striking? You mean handsome. Well, I was trying to avoid that, but yes. Somehow I thought you'd be the ideal man, you know? Athletic and overwhelmingly good-looking. It's my nose, isn't it? Mac didn't know what to say. (laughs) I am Jewish, you know. My grandfather on my mother's side had a big nose. In fact, most of the men on my mom's side had big noses. I just thought you'd be better looking. By whose standards? Anyway, once you really get to know me, it won't matter to you. The words, though delivered kindly, stung. Stung what exactly? Mac lay there a few seconds and realized that as much as he thought he knew Jesus, perhaps he didn't. Not really. Maybe what he knew was an icon, an ideal, an image through which he tried to grasp a sense of spirituality, but not a real person. Why is that? he finally asked. You said if I really knew you, it wouldn't matter what you looked like. It is quite simple, really. Being always transcends appearance, that which only seems to be. Once you begin to know the meaning behind the very pretty or very ugly face, as determined by your bias, the surface appearances fade away until they simply no longer matter. That's why Eloisa is such a wonderful name. God, who is the ground of all being, dwells in, around, and through all things ultimately emerging as the real, and any appearances that mask that reality will fall away. Silence followed as Mac wrestled with what Jesus had said. He gave up after only a minute or two and decided to ask the riskier question. You said I don't really know you. It would be a lot easier if we could always talk like this. Admittedly, Mac, this is special. You were really stuck, and we wanted to help you crawl out of your pain. But don't think that just because I'm not visible, our relationship has to be less real. It will be different, but perhaps even more real. How is that? My purpose from the beginning was to live in you and you in me. Wait, wait, wait a minute. How can that happen? If you're still fully human, how can you be inside me? Astounding, isn't it? It's Papa's miracle. 
It is the power of Sarayu, my spirit, the spirit of God who restores the union that was lost so long ago. Me? I choose to live moment by moment fully human. I am fully God, but I am human to the core. Like I said, it's Papa's miracle. Mac was lying in the darkness, listening intently. Aren't you talking about a real indwelling, not just some positional theological thing? Of course. It's what everything is all about. The human, formed out of the physical material creation, can once more be fully indwelt by spiritual life, my life. It requires that a very real dynamic and active union exists. That is almost unbelievable. I had no idea. I need to think more about this. But I might have a lot of questions. And we have your entire lifetime to sort through them. But enough of that for now. Let's get lost again in the starry night. In the silence that followed, Max simply lay still, allowing the immensity of space and scattered light to dwarf him, letting his perceptions be captured by starlight and the thought that everything was about him, about the human race, that all this was for all of us. After what seemed like a long time, it was Jesus who broke into the quiet. I'll never get tired of looking at this. The wonder of it all. The wastefulness of creation, as one of our brothers has called it. So elegant, so full of longing and beauty, even now. You know, Mac responded, suddenly struck anew by the absurdity of his situation, where he was, the person next to him. Sometimes you sound so... I mean, here I am, lying next to the God Almighty, and you really sound so... Human, but ugly. <laughs> Some really, really sick nags on Jesus there. Right? <laughs> Brutal. Alright, and then our last dramatic reading is another cool convo between Jesus and Mac. And this time Kate gets to be Jesus, and Dolly will be Mac. Woohoo! Mac next assumed that they would be taking one of the canoes nestled against the dock pylons, and he was surprised when Jesus didn't hesitate as he passed the third and last of them, heading directly for the end of the pier. Reaching the end of the dock, he turned to Mac and grinned. After you. You're kidding, right? I thought we were going for a walk, not a swim. We are. I just thought that going across the lake would take less time than going around it. I'm not that great a swimmer, and besides, the water looks pretty damn cold. He suddenly realized what he had said and felt his face flush. Uh, I mean, I mean, darn, pretty, pretty darn cold. He looked up at Jesus with a frozen grimace on his face, but the other man seemed to be enjoying Mac's discomfort. Now, we both know you are a very capable swimmer, once a lifeguard, if I remember right. And the water is cold. And it's deep. But I'm not talking about swimming. I want to walk across with you. What Jesus had been suggesting, Mac finally allowed into his consciousness. He was talking about walking on the water. Jesus, anticipating his hesitation, asserted, Come on, Mac. If Peter can do it. You want me to walk on the water to the other side. That is what you're saying, right? You're a quick one, Mac. 
Nobody gonna slide anything past you, that's for sure. Come on, it's fun. Mac walked to the edge of the dock and looked down. The water lapped only about a foot below where he stood, but it might as well have been a hundred feet. The distance looked enormous. To dive in would have been easy. He had done that a thousand times. But how do you step off a dock onto water? Do you jump as if you are landing on concrete? Or do you step over the edge as if you're getting out of a boat? He looked back at Jesus, who was still chuckling. Peter had the same problem. How to get out of the boat. It's just like stepping off a one-foot-high stair. Nothing to it. Will my feet get wet? Of course. Water is still wet. Then why is this so hard for me? Tell me what you're afraid of, Mac. Well, let me see. What am I afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of looking like an idiot. I'm afraid that you are making fun of me and that I will sink like a rock. I imagine that... Exactly. You imagine. Such a powerful ability, the imagination. The power alone makes you so like us. But without wisdom, imagination is a cruel taskmaster. If I may prove my case, do you think humans were designed to live in the present, or the past, or the future? Well, I think the most obvious answer is that we were designed to live in the present. Is that wrong? Relax, Mac. This is not a test. It's a conversation. You are exactly correct, by the way. But now tell me. Where do you spend most of the time in your mind? In your imagination? In the present? In the past? Or in the future? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of what we highlighted to read. It goes on. And it, like when we decided to stop there, it's because after that point, in my opinion, it's just kind of good advice. And it's, like, not that funny. It's just sort of some more, like, boilerplate, like, don't worry too much about the future because you can't control it. Just, like, no day but today. YOLO. And then, like, five pages later, he actually gets to walk on water. It takes, like, a while. (laughs) That's going to be cool in the movie, though. Yeah. And then Jesus (laughs) makes fun of him because apparently to walk on water, you got to take your shoes and socks off first. So FYI, in case any of y'all... Wind up walking on water with Jesus? Take your shoes off. It makes sense. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's play some Would You Rather. I'll <laughs> ask. Sounds good. I'll ask. Would you rather worship ugly Jesus or hot Jesus? Um, I'll go with ugly Jesus just because I'm. I don't care whether or not Jesus is ugly or hot. Cause I don't care whether or not dudes are ugly or hot. Well, so you're assuming yeah. Jesus is a wo- is a man? Yeah, <laughs> did, yes, that's true. Didn't you read this fucking book, Kate? <laughs> <laughs> you be an Asian woman. You don't know. <laughs> um, I still am, like, uh, just the Catholicism thing means that, you know, I've seen a lot of ripped Jesuses on crosses, you know, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ab, ab details, so that's kind of the type that I go to first. I would probably Probably, I would probably be like Mac, be like, why aren't you hotter? Yeah. Shouldn't you be hot? <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll go for ugly Jesus just to kind of like, um, just so I feel more, more hot in comparison. 
<laughs> like, oh, Jesus is God, but also human, but also is God, and so I'm hotter than this God. Everything's That's... a contest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do I get to ask the next one? Yeah. Okay, would you rather call God fat a bunch, which does happen in this book, or transform God into a dude when things start to get serious, which also happens in this book? Um, I would much rather have, uh, I'd much rather have a fat lady God. Yeah, same, like, I call people fat all the time, just in a, because fat is a descriptor, not an insult, so people are fat, I'm fat, many of my friends are fat. Nothing wrong with that. God and also, fat. men are the worst. Mm-hmm. It just was so strange. <laughs> I just kept, like, the descriptions of it were just so strange that I kept going, like, oh, okay, like, okay, okay, I, okay, I get it. I get what you're imagining here, Mr. Mr. Young. I get it. Yeah, Move I on. mean, I'll, like, along with the, quote, like, black slang and everything, like, it was all repeated too much, and it was all just, like, we get it, but... Still, I'll I'll take fat lady god. Over dude god? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Alright, All right. last up. Would you rather eat food lovingly prepared for you by Papa God herself or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, our podcast sponsor and the fictional <laughs> restaurant from Christian Mingle the movie? <laughs> uh, uh. Obviously, steaks and cakes. Like, <laughs> I appreciate Papa God and the extent that she went to to make food. But A, I know that steaks and cakes isn't going to get me diarrhea because <laughs> I trust them as our beloved sponsor and, you know, important institution in fast food in America. And also because I like steaks and cakes. You know, in, in Christian Mingle the movie, we never see the kitchen of Steaks and Cakes. So it's possible that Papa God works at Steaks and Cakes. That would it's be true. the best solution. It could be yeah. both, yeah. Best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. Um, I, I definitely think Steaks and Cakes sounds delicious. Um, and that, Those are the, the only two things on their menu. And it, so. Yeah, I mean, those those two things could basically just be every meal for me. So, steak and cake, and maybe mix it up, have cake before steak, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. A little bit of that, yeah. Um, Papa God's cooking seems great, but there's a lot of, like, Mac talking about, like, oh, this is a dish he'd never had before. So, you might find God, like, like trying to expand your palate. And sometimes you really just want steaks or cakes, you know? Absolutely. And uh, same, I'm. I'll be right there with you at steaks and cakes, eating only cake. <laughs> All right, let us move on to readers' advisory, where we suggest some books, movies, or television programs that you might like instead of or in addition to The Shack. Yeah, I mean, I'll say right off the bat, this is very, very far outside my wheelhouse, so I only have two suggestions. First would be the Angel Trilogy by Lurleen McDaniel, a podcast favorite <laughs> slash subject here at Worst Bestsellers. Um, you know, there was a lot of God in those, plus teenagers dying, which people are into. Totally. Um, <laughs> and my other recommendation would be the hit 90s television show Touched by an Angel, 
Which is really the only other, like, hyper-religious pop-cultural touchstone that I have. And it's been in my mind a lot recently because it's referenced a lot on The Adventure Zone, which I've been mainlining for the past month. So there's a free additional recommendation for you. Listen to The Adventure Zone. There are some angels in it, sort of. I also have been listening to The Adventure Zone, mainly because I was becoming a social pariah for not listening to The Adventure Zone. So (laughs) you should probably listen to it so you don't become a social pariah in my personal friends group. Um, (laughs) Which you might already be if you're not hanging out with us. I don't know. But um, I was going to say Touch My Angel 2, which I weirdly was obsessed with as a child. I watched it every week. Although my family did not go to church and I did not have a good context <laughs> framework for it at all. But I just, I don't know, I, I found it very, like, nice, this idea of these angels. And I liked Roma Downey's Irish accent. It was very nice. She's so beautiful. She's so gorgeous. Yeah, she's a beautiful angel just watching out for all of us. Um, a more recent television show that I would recommend also is The Good Place, starring Kristen mm. Bell as a person who is not a good person but accidentally ends up in heaven that is ruled by Ted Danson. And the whole thing is on Hulu now. You can watch it all. It's really funny. It's really unexpected. I I really enjoyed it start to finish. And uh, Adam Scott is a sexy devil in it also, just FYI. And in real life as yes. well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely recommend, uh, if you like this book, Mitch Album is probably for you. I actually don't know how to say his last name. That is that sounds right. Album? I'll buy yeah. it. Uh, I'll buy it. I have, to, I have read The Five People You Meet in Heaven and um, Tuesdays with Maury, and they're sort of similar, kind of, um, uh, the plot is just a device to have philosophical discussions. Uh, I do think Album is a considerably better writer. <laughs> Good. <laughs> he's, a, he's a very good writer. Um, and then the other the other thing that this really brought to mind is that um, probably like it's 70s, 80s, it was super, super popular to have these kinds of books, but in a more secular context. So there's a book called Ishmael that I think a lot of people mm-hmm. read where like a dude goes into the jungle and like gets tutored by a gorilla. It's a we, whole thing. We read that in my <laughs> AP his, like US history class and it just like blew all of our minds like whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like the secular version of this because it's more about like how to live and I think like ecology is part of it and yada yada. And then um, I haven't actually read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance but if I understand the plot of that um, it's sort of similar but a little more like secular a little less concerned with it's a little more like how to live your life and less like what does Jesus want? I haven't read it either, but that sounds right. Um, one more that I'm going to throw out is it's called this is water by David Foster Wallace. And it's actually just a commencement speech that he gave. And then after he died, they're like, Oh, we can make money from this. And they printed it into like a little tiny, like coffee table type book. Um, it's really short. You could also still just read the commencement address on the internet, but it's basically just sort of his like deep thoughts and how to live a good life. Uh, in a secular way that is also, I think, probably influenced by, like, AA, which is influenced by evangelical Christianity. So we kind of come full, full circle in a <laughs> in a secular way somehow. Uh, but it's, I really like it if you are looking for somebody to tell you how to live your life and you don't want it to be William Paul Young. Uh, maybe David Foster Wallace can tell you how to live. Totally. 
All right, so we'll have uh, these and some others up on our website, worstbestsellers.com, for your perusal. So we'll move on to our candy pairings, where we will suggest a candy to go along with this book, much like you might have a fine wine suggested to go with your steak or cake. And uh, my candy pairing for this is Cadbury Cream Eggs, which, you know, of course, are tied to Easter, a religious holiday. And it's something that it's really important to a lot of people. A lot of people, like, really love Cadbury cream eggs. And I like, you know, I like Cadbury cream eggs okay. They're a little bit, like, too sweet, I think, for me. And, you know, I, th- I thought this book was okay. I totally get why it's super important to a lot of people. But I'm not going to go out and, like, stock up on Cadbury cream eggs when it's Easter time, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, when you said Easter candy, that like, it made me think of the Peeps Oreos, which people are sharing now um, on social media. Uh, Because I think Easter candy tends to be sort of one of the more like, batshit times for candy, (laughs) you know, where candy just goes a little crazy. So Peeps Oreos, to me, seems like uh, the ultimate pairing of just sort of like, huh? And this book is a little bit out there. So you know, give it a shot. See what happens. Don't well, blame me. Well, also, Peeps Oreos were kind of making the news because they were making people's poop bright pink, which is, nice. which is kind of like <laughs> Hell how, yes. how Papa God's <laughs> cooking gives Mac gives Mac the trot. <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> For my candy pairing, I chose uh, those chocolate crosses that you get from your religious relatives instead of chocolate Easter bunnies. You know, they're trying to appeal to you to kind of dial into what you like while also giving it a religious bent to show you that religion could be cool and fun too. Uh, and, you know, you, you can see through it, you know what they're trying to do, but, you know, there are worse ways to appeal to the kids. Yeah. <laughs> the kids. <laughs> the youth. The youths. Yeah. All right. We'll move on now to our favorite game, The Rock Paper Snicked, where, uh, Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Dolly can choose which of these would most enhance the book or choose paper, (laughs) which is to leave the book as is. Oh, okay. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be camping at the same campground as the Phillips family and all their friends. And when Mac's older kids got stuck in the canoe, the Rock's training from the Baywatch remake would kick in and he'd immediately leap into action, diving into the water and saving them from drowning before Mac would have time to react. Mac would never be away from the campground for long enough for Missy to get kidnapped, and the Rock would stick around for the rest of their camping trip, singing songs around the campfire with them and making s'mores with the kids. Uh, None of the God stuff would ever happen, and this would be a much less bonkers book. Fine, I guess. If Wolverine were in this story, he would have been living in the sadness cave where the little lady killer took Missy to do his murder, Um, but while she was still alive, he took her there. And Wolverine would have saved Missy and murdered the murderer, thus preventing Mac's great sadness altogether. Ugly Jesus would turn Wolverine's water into beer to celebrate. And this book would just be a short story about a camping trip with a mild canoe mishap that everybody just laughed off and went home afterwards. 
I have to say, um, the visions of The Rock in the Baywatch remake are uh, really the best. And I would love to picture The Rock in this book, so I'm going to have to go with that. Um, although I think the idea of Wolverine murdering the murderer in a cave is pretty serious as well. So really, almost anything plot-wise would improve this book, just in terms of its kind of readability mm-hmm. <laughs> and pulling out the god stuff. Absolutely. All right. Well, I I mean, I have to agree. I can't fucking wait to see Baywatch uh, and watching Baywatch would be way better than this book. So (laughs) anything we can do to make it more like the Baywatch movie I'm on board with. Well played. Uh, Now, now, uh, what's the moral of the story, you guys? I would say the moral of the story is if your children are murdered, you should make peace with it because it was probably for the greater good. Uh, I would say the moral is that uh, the human need for independence is a problem. (laughs) My moral of the story is God loves you even if you murder children. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not that I've murdered any. I don't. Uh, Let's move on. Listen. (laughs) (laughs) Only God can judge me. You poison the, like... You poison the juice cups. We all know. <laughs> all right. Well, just only because I thought my dad was going to drink them. <laughs> now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will offer, offer his opinions. Duarte, you're right. This book was extremely long for not having even any cats in it at all. And I appreciate that, but I have to disagree. I think that if God came, one of the iterations of God was a cat, it would just get confusing because humans don't actually speak cat. Mm. So it might just, it, it would have been, I added an extra dimension. If there was a god of cats who came as well, that's a different story. You know, just as like the the friend of regular god. Yeah, I mean, now we're veering definitely into like some very derivative Sandman territory, which I know, Dorothy, like you and I, we both love Sandman, but this is a pretty different situation. I just have to say that for a cat, Duarte's grasp of the foundation of the Holy Trinity is really impressive um, and actually probably better than my own understanding (laughs) of it as well. That's true. I do feel like I understand it much better from just hearing Duarte's short summary than from reading this whole book. So, okay. Well, thanks again, Duarte. Uh, We'll talk to you again soon. And now, do any humans have any closing thoughts? I would say my closing thought is that this wasn't a total garbage book. It was definitely bonkers. But, you know, sometimes we read stuff that almost feels, like, harmful. And this was not. Yeah, like, I feel like if you read The Shag and you totally internalize the message of this, that's pretty good. I feel like somebody who's, like, living out the lessons of The Shag is probably being a pretty good person. And I can understand finding comfort in it and finding, you know, a kind of peace in reading this sort of thing. So, I mean, it's not for me at all, but I I can see how it would work for other people. Totally. Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not a garbage book by any means. Um, And it's not surprising that it did so well, because I think there's probably a lot of people that it speaks really well to. And um, 
I'm sure the movie will make a billion dollars. Totally. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Dolly. Thanks for reading thank us. You for, thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I struggled through it. <laughs> right. Uh, listeners, thank you for listening. If you want some more quality Worst Bustlers content, you can find it at worstbustlers.com. Or you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter where we're Worst Bestseller with no S because the S is busy manifesting as the Holy Spirit somewhere. You can also join our Goodreads group, which is at goodreads.com, and then you have to search for it, and it's kind of confusing. Uh, also, there's a link to it at worstbestsellers.com, so just do that. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Uh, if you do subscribe to us there, please rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it pops us up a little bit in the charts and makes it easier for people to find us. If you don't rate and review us, we will have to send the manifestations of the Holy Trinity to your house to have a heart-to-heart with you about why you're not putting more good into the world via iTunes reviews. Oh, no. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. If you're not familiar with Patreon, uh, you would pledge a small monthly recurring donation, and that money goes to doing things like upgrading our equipment and paying for our web hosting, and uh, donors get perks like... Like shout-outs like on the podcast. <laughs> like... Uh, <laughs> Early access to bonus episodes and shout-outs on the podcast, uh, two of which we have today. Our first Patreon patron shout-out goes to Sarah Faber, who would like to say hi, Corey, and wave. So thanks for supporting us, Sarah. We super appreciate it. I'm waving at Corey. You can't see it because it's an audio podcast. We're uh, all waving. <laughs> uh, I'm also giving a shout out to Brian from Milwaukee, and I'm waving at him as well, though he did not specifically request it. I I, <laughs> I hope you're not offended by waving, Brian from Milwaukee. <laughs> you can follow me personally on Twitter at fourteen across. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow me on Twitter for more of my deep thoughts about um, Christian eschatology <laughs> at Lother, L-O-A-T-H-E-R. And some of my writing and stuff is on dollymegan.com. And my podcast is withdrawn, hashtag withdrawn. Um, we're withdrawnpodcast.com. We're on iTunes and all that good stuff. Um, I make I make the man who co-hosts it do all that technical stuff. Uh, that's what men are for for me yeah i i know this this detail work is is yeah uh (laughs) and we're on twitter as withdrawn tweets as well hooray all right um thank you again to dolly and thank you to our patreon patrons and thank you to jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) amen and we'll be back in two weeks with red queen by victoria avillard or perhaps Aviard, I do not know. But we'll definitely Google that before we record that about podcast. <laughs> okay, bye. 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 <laughs> I wonder if God is trying to shut this down.
God is like, please don't make fun of the shack. It's, it's, it's my favorite book. I handed it down on stone tablets. I self-published those stone, stone uh, tablets. And 